today. I'm going to finish up that the last that uh, chapter three of James, um, and then we have two more Sundays, and then Advent. So we're all, we're Advent is upon us. So. <clears throat> So James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18 is where we find ourselves this morning. This is God's word. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is God's word. It's entirely true, and it's given to us in love. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, uh, we pray for wisdom today. We pray that you would teach us about wisdom. We pray that you would give us wisdom. Um, we pray that you would give us uh, understanding as to what is, uh, what is uh, bad wisdom and what is good wisdom. And all of that is laid before us in your holy word. You are so, um, you are so, so big and... Um, and, and seemingly far away from us in so many ways because of our lack of understanding, but yet you are so close and, and practical. And so we get to see that laid out before us today, Father, and just showing us how to live a life um, that is a life of flourishing, that is a, that is a life that is, that is rich, not in and of ourselves, but that's rich uh, in the gospel. And so I pray that you would bring us along in that uh, again this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. So, what would you, uh, what do you think about when you hear the word wisdom? Maybe you think about a wise old sage who is there to kind of dispense out these, you know, good advice to anyone who would ask. But it would not be surprising to me if nothing comes to your mind when you hear the word wisdom. Because wisdom is something we rarely talk about these days. We, we, we rarely search for wisdom. Uh, and, and instead, the, the secular culture, and even, you know, sometimes this seeps into the church as well, they, they like to gain their insights from, from science and facts, things that we can, we can see and feel and that we can experience and that we can we can. Uh, we can uh, experiment with and we can see this proof that is laid before us and then we have the sacred culture or the religious culture that likes to gain their insights from morality so we do these certain things to feel good about ourselves or we like to get uh, get our wisdom or our ideas from just feelings so I feel a certain way so this is the decision I'll make about this particular thing that I have to make a decision on instead of seeking wisdom we tend to make decisions on our own, even, even really important decisions like who to marry, what, what job do I take, what city should I live in. All of this happens most of the time apart from wisdom. Or we just think we can just Google it 
or ask Siri, and that will give us the satisfactory answers that we need for life. Uh, The writer E.O. Wilson once said, when you can go by your initials in anything, you know you've made it. So E.O. Wilson wrote this. He says, we are drowning in information while starving for wisdom. We are drowning for information while starving for wisdom. Which is saying that there is a difference between just knowing stuff, knowledge, and being wise. And I think the problem, I think the problem that we have lies in the fact that we, don't, we, that we don't know what wisdom is, and we also don't know where wisdom comes from. So we don't know where to seek for wisdom. And we don't know what to look for most of the time when we're looking for wisdom. Or we think that, that unless someone's a certain age or stage in life or, or they hold a certain position, so a pastor um, is full of wisdom, so, so everyone thinks, uh, a parent because they're older than me and they've lived some more life, a grandparent who's even older than I am and they lived even more life, uh, if, if we don't have somebody like that in our life, then we don't have wisdom or that person you're speaking with, if they don't meet that criteria, doesn't have wisdom either. But that's simply not true. Because James is writing these words here to the entire congregation. He's not just looking at older people. He's not just looking at at the teachers. He is looking at everybody. So this means every Christian should seek both knowledge about God as well as practical, moral, and spiritual insight from God. Every Christian should be doing that. Because throughout the Bible, wisdom actually is a very important theme. So if you remember the the story of Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon takes the throne from uh, from his father, and he's just become king over Israel. And God comes to Solomon and asks him, Ask me for whatever you want, and I will give it to you. Ask me for whatever you want. This wasn't, God was not fishing for Solomon to answer a certain way. He is serious about this question. Ask me, if if Solomon would have said, I just want all the gold in the world, God would have given it to him. Ask me for whatever you want, and I will give it to you. I want power over all my enemies. God would have given it to him. So here's a new king. And the thing that Solomon asked for, when he could have asked for anything else in all the world, he asked God for wisdom. Give me wisdom. And so years later, as Solomon is reflecting back over his life in the book of Proverbs, which is what Solomon is doing in the book of Proverbs, is he's dispensing wisdom now to, to those who are coming after him. This is what Solomon says about wisdom. So this is what Solomon says about his decision that he has made. He says this, For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Now Solomon is a real person, not just a Bible character that we read about, a real person, and it was said at one point in Solomon's life, there was nothing in all of the world that Solomon could not have. He could have anything he wanted. And here he is in Proverbs saying, nothing you desire can compare with wisdom. 
But Solomon knew the value of wisdom because he saw the fruit of wisdom uh, birthed out in his life over and over again. Which means we should all be seeking and asking for wisdom. James says it in chapter 1. If anyone lacks wisdom, so if you're saying, man, I really need some, I need some wisdom on this particular issue that I'm dealing with in my job. If anyone lacks wisdom, if you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So, simple. If you lack wisdom, ask for it, and God will give it to you. Just like he did to Solomon. So this is what James is about. James is about living wisdom. Living wisdom. That's why you have this very practice, practical aspects to the Christian life here that, that, that James has been dealing with. And so because this is living wisdom that we're dealing with here, this means that wisdom is yours for the taking. Wisdom is accessible to you and you can have it and live your life according to it. So, in the text today, there are three aspects of wisdom that we need to talk about so that we can recognize what true wisdom actually is. So the first thing we're going to look at is the evidence of true wisdom, and that's really the evidence of true wisdom in a person's life. So the evidence of true wisdom, and then two is the misshape of wisdom. So there's a couple of different types of wisdoms that you can that you can uh, get involved in. So we're going to look at that. And then three is the shape of true wisdom. The evidence of true wisdom, the misshape of wisdom, and then the shape of true wisdom. So first, the evidence of true wisdom. Look at verse 13. James asked the question, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So James is beginning this section of his letter with a rhetorical question and a command that create this conditional sentence that says, if people want to be wise, they must demonstrate it by humble, beneficial conduct. That if you want to be wise, you must must show it in your humility and in your conduct that doesn't just benefit you, but benefits everybody else around you. It feels like something's about to explode behind me. Josh will get it. I'm not worried about it. So the way this looks is, is those who are wise and understanding will be ones, ones by their good conduct that show their works in the meekness of wisdom. These will be the ones who are wise. So what, is it, what does it mean to be wise and understanding? Well, the word that James uses for wise is taken from a Hebrew word which means uh, in which theory and, and practice intersect. So things that we believe and then things that we live out come together. And then you have this other word, understanding, which means being knowledgeable in a way that makes someone effectual in the exercise of such knowledge, which means that somebody has a particular knowledge uh, based on their life experience or, or who they are or, or, what, they've, or what, what job they have, and they have some knowledge, they have some wisdom that they're willing to give away to others. So James is asking this, essentially asking this rhetorical question of 
who qualifies as a sage? Who qualifies as a wise person among you? Who is qualified to disperse wisdom? Because we all know that not everyone is wise. And I think our culture has, has made, it, made it seem like that if someone is older or, or, or ahead of you in life, that automatically that person is wise. The, uh, the singer David Ramirez, he has a verse in his song, um, Friends and Family, that says, Well, I may, look, I may look older, I may have more lines upon my face, but the biggest lie I ever heard was that wisdom comes with age. And that's true. I know some really foolish older people. And some really wise young people. So if wisdom doesn't primarily come from age, where does it come from? Well, James tells us it comes from those who find wisdom outside themselves. So these are not people who are saying, look at how good my marriage is. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to mentor young couples. Or, or these, these are not people who say, look at how well-behaved my two-year-old is, uh, and I'm going to teach a class on parenting. These are not people who say, look at how good, at, 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 with, at, you know, good I am with money, so I'm going to start a podcast. These aren't, these aren't the, these people who are filled with wisdom. Now, these are people, James 3.13, that says, they are humble, and they demonstrate their wisdom through their works. So they are humbly walking with God throughout their lives, and they are, they are living out the wisdom that they are gleaning from God. So James asked the question, who is wise and understanding among you? Now remember, James is writing to churches. So he is asking the church to say, to evaluate their congregations and say, who is wise among you in your church family? Who shows the evidence of wisdom here at Christ the King Church? Because if you're needing wisdom, you're to seek it in two places. God's Word and God's people. God's Word and God's people. So, so look at, look at so a lot of the times we, we like to say, like, oh, I have this issue, I have this problem, I need some, I need some advice, I need some wisdom. Um, I really wish I had someone to talk to, so I'll, I'll, uh, I'll Google it. Or I will, I will go and read a book, which is typically my default. I'll go and read a book about it, and I'll learn everything there is to know about it, and then I'll know, and then I'll have wisdom. And then the one thing that we miss is what is directly around us. We miss the resources that the Lord has given us in a community that He has placed you in called the church. This place is full to the brim with wisdom. It is. So instead of running around the internet or or looking for the next book to help you, look at the people God has placed around you here at CTK and seek the wisdom that you need. So you might be uh, graduating from college soon and you have a particular degree that you want to pursue, you want to pursue a job in that particular degree and you know there's somebody at your church that is working that job and they've been doing it for 15 or 20 years. So your responsibility is to say, is that person someone who is living out the gospel faithfully in their job 
And if you can say, yes, that's somebody that I want to learn from, that is a person that you should go and seek wisdom from. Go to that person. Maybe you're, you're wanting to get married. You have a desire to be married. Maybe you have someone in mind that you want to get married to. They might not know about it yet, but you never know. And so you notice a couple who seems to be walking with a lot of grace and love toward one another, and you know they love Jesus, and they're members of your church. Seek those people out. Ask them to mentor you. Ask them, say, I want wisdom and I want to learn from you. Or maybe you're struggling with something. Maybe you're struggling with sin. Maybe you're struggling with um, all, of the, all of the things that come at us in life that are broken, that affect us physically and mentally and spiritually. Maybe, maybe you have some of those things happening. The, the, the Bible tells us that there are those in your midst that have already walked through that particular suffering or something like it, that have already been comforted by Christ, that now are supposed to comfort you in that same struggle. So you can come and ask me. I know most of the people in the room. I know most of their stories. I know most of the things that they've struggled with so far. And I can point you in the right direction. Because, listen, I don't, I don't have all of that wisdom. I don't have all of that wisdom. But this place is full of people who do. But James here is asking his congregations to evaluate themselves and discern who the truly wise ones among them are who both know what is right to do and practice it. So they're hearers of the word, but they're also doers of the word. So we could say that that's, that's kind of step one. And step so identifying who is wise or who we think is wise. Step two would be more of an evaluation of what true wisdom looks like or what it doesn't look like, we could say. So the misshape of wisdom is what we're looking at. So in these next few verses, we see that wisdom, that wisdom takes on a, a particular shape. And in these verses, James shows us the shape by showing us first what wisdom is not, and then what wisdom truly is. So the book of Proverbs gives a fine example of what the shape of wisdom looks like. Gavin read for us a little bit from, from Proverbs chapter 8, but listen to just further. It's a great description of wisdom if you want to read through the entire thing, but even just in those final two verses of Proverbs chapter 8, Solomon says, For whoever finds me, finds wisdom, finds life, and obtains favor from the Lord, but he who fails to find wisdom injures himself. All who hate me love death. So wisdom takes on a particular shape which makes it easier to recognize what isn't wisdom. Look at verse 14. James writes, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. So this, is a, this, this declaration, which is the opposite of what James says in verse, thir verse 13, provides, provides the rationale for the definition of true wisdom. So jealousy and rivalry, they work against the truth. So the wise person will defer to and cooperate with others, that, which means they will not let their opinion infiltrate what is wise, what is true. Which simply means they're not going to buck against what is true, what is found in God's Word. 
They won't simply disagree with something someone says so as to promote their own opinion over that which may be wise. Let me give you an example. You may sense that God is, is leading you to take a job here in Augusta because you've found a community here at this church. You've been offered a good job. It's what you want. But your family wants you closer to home. They want you to come back home. They want everybody to be close. They want every, all, all of, their, all of, their, all of their, their little birds back in the same nest. And so they want you to come home. So when you go to your dad or you go to your mom for wisdom saying, I got this job um, offer and I, I think I'm going to take it, they say without asking questions, without considering why, that taking a job in Augusta is not a good idea. So in a small way, that isn't wisdom. That isn't wisdom. That, that, is, that is someone offering you their opinion based on their own selfish and even jealous desires for you. Or, or, or they may say this person is, is wrong or this direction is, is misguided simply because they don't like the person or what they represent or the direction in which you may be headed, even if it's good. And they just base it on their opinion and their jealousy. Or it simply may be you just listening to your own wisdom. And so you go against what Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7 says. that says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. I have heard uh, people say these very phrases to me. Well, I just don't feel right about it. Or, my gut is telling me to do this or not to do that. Or, I love this one, I don't have a piece about it. None of those are biblical. None of those come from the scriptures. And listen to what James says about all of this in, verses, in verse 15. James says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Now, does that mean your mom and dad is possessed by a demon? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. But, if they are seeking to give you their opinion and not apart from biblical wisdom, then James is saying their advice or their wisdom is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. So this, this, this term demonic does suggest that this wisdom is, is not neutral. There is a sway to it, and James says it's inspired by demons. Now, that, that's, that's a tough thing to hear. But James, this is a theme throughout James. If you, go, if you just go back um, to, to chapter 3, verse 6, James says that if your tongue is one that is, that is biting against other people and spreading rumors and gossip, James is saying that your tongue has been set on fire by hell. So that, that exists in you as well, the potential for that. And then further, he anticipates in chapter 4, verse 7, when he says to the congregations that he's writing to, resist the devil. 
and he will flee. So these three adjectives, earthly, unspiritual, and demonic, are, are the biblical so- source of a more familiar triad that you may have heard of uh, called the world, the flesh, and the devil. These, these three things that, that we are constantly wrestling against and, and to which Jesus has defeated on the cross. This lets us know that even in the seeking or dispersing of wisdom, it is a spiritual battle. It's not something that we enter into lightly, and there are two sides to this spiritual battle. There's only two sides, not three. It's not you and then God and the devil. The only two sides in this spiritual battle of wisdom is the devil's side and God's side. That's the battle that's taking place. So wisdom that doesn't originate from God is wisdom that is not being shaped by the gospel. So it's wisdom that only belongs to the devil and has a selfish and jealous bent to it. Then verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. So if this is the type of wisdom that you seek out or disperse and listen to, James says it's a good, a good way to measure whether or not you're, you're, you're listening to, to, uh, to, to wisdom that is not from above. James says your life will constantly be filled with chaos and turmoil and even sin. In chapter 1 he said it will be, be a life that is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind unstable in all of its ways. Is that what your life feels like right now? Driven and tossed. Unstable in everything that you do. You feel like you can't do anything right. Then maybe you're not listening to the wisdom that is found in God's Word. So what's being implied here is that there is wisdom to avoid and wisdom to seek out. There is false wisdom and there is true wisdom. And James explains in verses 17 through 18 what the shape of true wisdom looks like. And it begins by knowing where it comes from. Look at verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So James is circling back in these last two verses to to true wisdom to show the contrast that takes place in the direction from which true wisdom comes from. So wisdom that that is of the devil comes from below. It is earthly, James says. Wisdom that is from God comes from above. It is a heavenly wisdom. So again, looking back on something James says earlier in his letter in chapter 1, verse 17, he uses this same phrase about coming down, being above. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom no variation or shadow due to change. So using the same phrase, from above, here in chapter 1, verse 17, uh, James lets us know that wisdom from above isn't just wisdom that is falling down out of nothing, but that it is wisdom that is given to you by a heavenly Father. 
who longs to give you these good and perfect gifts. And wisdom is one of those good and perfect gifts. Which means the wisdom we receive from Him is something worth seeking. It's something that we, that we not only desire, but that we need. So what shape does true wisdom take? Well, James uses a, a variety of words to describe wisdom here. Um, but they are all birthed out of the first, which is true wisdom is first pure. And that word pure means everything that you think it does. It is, there is nothing of darkness in it. There is no sin involved. There is no jealous or selfish and jealousy or selfish ambition involved in this sort of wisdom. It is pure. So this means it's, it's, it's unmixed with anything worldly or anything demonic. So it's a wisdom that is shaped by the gospel. Let me give you a, a scenario. This is not happening at CTK, at least that I'm not, I don't know anybody, so... If this falls on you, I, did, I, did not, I, know, I don't know about it. So just, I'm just giving you that clarity. All right? So let's just say you have a, a single friend who's a Christian. You know the single friend well. You know that they long to be married. And their greatest fear is that they will end up single their entire life. So they'll be lonely and single their entire life. And so they come to you one day and they tell you that they've met the most wonderful person in the world, and that they are madly in love, and they are moving toward getting married. That's how much they like each other. They're moving towards marriage. And so you, being a good friend, ask the most important questions first. At least I hope you do. Is this person a Christian? Do they know and love Jesus? Are they, are they living... So Because so, you might get the... Because we live in the South. So and if you haven't noticed or not, almost everybody would say they're a Christian. So you have, to, you have to nuance that question. Are they a Christian? Because they might say yes. They say they're a Christian. So then you follow it up with, well, are they living for Christ? Are they living for Christ in, 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 in their words and in their actions? Do you see the gospel displayed in them and through them? And that's not just attending church on a Sunday. To which your friend responds, well, they do go to church. Well, and they said that they don't, they don't go to church now, but they, they said that they will support that I go to church and that this is something that I enjoy and that they'll come with me. And so there's hope. Maybe they'll become a Christian through that. Or, or they say, well, he's so nice. And I'm so happy. And I don't want to be lonely. So an earthly demonic response to your Christian brother or sister in this situation would be, well, I want you to be happy. I want you to be happy, and if this person makes you happy, I will support you in that. The wisdom shape on the gospel would be, and I'm sure knowing, if you know a friend like this, it would be a lot more nuanced, but wisdom shaped by the gospel would sound like this. I know it's hard being single, but if this guy or girl doesn't know and love and serve Jesus, and you do, this relationship will be a disaster. Maybe not now, but in the future it will be. 
And the call of Christ in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, is to deny yourself and follow him. So how can you follow Christ who demands absolute allegiance, absolute obedience to the, to, the, to the gospel, if you choose to become one flesh with a person who ignores his truth. That would be an example of pure wisdom. That's not your opinion. That's what the scriptures say. Yeah, of course you want your friend to be happy. But you know your friend's not going to be happy if they marry someone who is not a believer. And they are a believer. And so you tell them what the scriptures say. That's pure wisdom. It's not mixed with your opinion on the matter, but purely God's truth. That, that, that's wisdom from above. That's a, gift. that's a gift to your friend from your heavenly Father. That's what you're doing to them. You're giving them a gift. So what else is birthed out of this purity? Well... We already heard what misshaped wisdom looks like and sounds like. Now James uses several more adjectives to give us the opposite view. Or more accurately, we could say that James is letting us know what the wisdom that comes from heaven does. Much like the true faith in chapter 2, true wisdom is identified by the quality of life that it produces. Because James is about living wisdom, remember? Wisdom that is lived out in the day-to-day, moment-by-moment uh, aspects of life. And so these attributes, which we won't go into every single one of them, do more than just give us the opposite of earthly wisdom. But much like Paul's fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5, they, they, they tell us what our lives should be characterized by as Christians. So we list these words here. Peaceable. Gentle, open to reason, which means you're, 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 you're not just open to anything that everybody says, but you are accommodating, that you are, going to, you are going to come alongside someone in their struggle for wisdom. That you're full of mercy, full of good fruits, that you're impartial and sincere. Do these words describe your life? They're gospel words. Do they describe your life? When people look at you, do they see a person who is peaceful? Or do they see a person who is constantly combative? And that includes not just in speaking, but that includes like on social media and stuff. Where more than likely that's where we're going to be combative because we're too afraid to be combative to a person's face. Do people see that? Are you peaceable? Uh, when people interact with you, do they experience gentleness? Or do they experience harshness? Even when you're wronged by them, are you still gentle with those who disagree with you? Well, the text this morning concludes with verse 18. That is proverbial. And it says this, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So, some commentators don't think uh, verse, they think verse eight, 18 is kind of random. It's kind of random to put it at this section in the letter and it doesn't fit, but really it does, it does actually fit here. It does fit because true wisdom, ultimately, the seeking of true wisdom is, is ultimately the seeking of 
peace. That's what it is. So this is the capstone to these two contrasting wisdom. And, and, and what James is saying is, herein lies the results of true wisdom. James wants to see, wants the church to see that the peace that true wisdom brings to the community of believers. Meaning that those, those that pursue true wisdom are peacemakers. You remember that in, in, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount that those who are the peacemakers are, are blessed by God and they, they are the ones who are called sons and daughters of God. Peacemakers. There's a, there's a great book by Ken Sandy uh, called Peacemaker. Um, Ken Sandy is an author, but he's also a lawyer. So he, uh, he experienced uh, his, his share of, of, of disagreements and, uh, and things that were not peaceful. But in the beginning of his book, and it's the way in which he, he forms his, he shapes his book around these four things, he gives four things that are really helpful to pursuing peace. The first thing he says is to glorify God. The first step into pursuing peace with anybody is to glorify God. So does your desire to make peace with someone ultimately glorify God? Step two, look at yourself. So taking the, 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 the log out of your eye when you're trying to remove the speck from your brother or sister's eye. So in conflict, we all bring something to the table, even if, if it's the other person's fault. Like it is clearly the other person's fault. They are not uh, asking you for forgiveness, but it's clearly their fault and you know it. But you know what? We, you are a sinner as well. And in every conflict, you are bringing your sin to the table so there is probably something you need to repent of before you go to that brother or sister. Look at yourself. Examine your own heart first. Third, then, is go and show your brother or sister their fault. And you do that in love. And then fourth, go and be reconciled. This is always the goal to peacemaking. The goal is always reconciliation. And the reason reconciliation is always the goal is because Christ accomplished reconciliation for us before God. So that is our model. So what's revealed here is that, because you might be saying, why is he talking about peacemaking right now? What does that have to do with wisdom? But, but, but what, what's being revealed here is that when you have wisdom, you're able to pursue peace. And by pursuing peace you actually become more wise. So it's circular. It goes round and round. As you are pursuing peace, you're becoming wise, and as you are wise, you are able to pursue peace. It's just on and on and on it goes. And the only way someone is made a peacemaker is by Jesus himself being a peacemaker for them. Jesus is the one who reconciles us to God, who makes peace between God and all of mankind. If Jesus did not do that, we would be at war with God constantly if it weren't for Jesus. Which is to imply that true wisdom is found in Christ. So Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He has these 
uh, Jew, Jewish and Greek believers around him. And he says to them, look, you all desire wisdom. You're all asking for wisdom. You're all seeking wisdom. You all want wisdom. Yet you seek wisdom in all the wrong places. Paul says you seek wisdom in the philosophers. You seek wisdom in the teachers. You even seek the wisdom of the world to inform you. And none is found there. None is found there, Paul says. And then Paul goes on to say, the place where you find true wisdom is demonstrated in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where true wisdom is found. And Paul recognizes, if you're familiar with chapter 1, Paul recognizes several times in that chapter that this is crazy. How can you find wisdom in a dead man? But Paul says this, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. Because God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. What Paul is saying, what Jesus is saying, what James is saying, is the cross is the great wisdom of God. So how then do we become wise people? Seeking Jesus Christ, who is wisdom embodied. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we all long for wisdom. And yet I know even for myself sometimes I run to all the wrong places for wisdom and advice. So God, I do pray that we would be a people who who don't seek the wisdom of this world that, is, uh, that, it, that stands ready to give it to us in whatever capacity or whatever kind of outlet that we want, uh, it stands ready to do that. I pray that we would uh, run from the wisdom of this world and run to the wisdom that is from above that comes from you, our Father. That we would seek wisdom in Jesus, who is wisdom embodied. We pray all of these things in the name of Christ. Amen.